Episode 257 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Gusto. Gusto is easy online payroll benefits and HR for the modern small business. Demo their software free for three months when you run your first payroll. Visit gusto.com slash read to lead. Brands in the past were built through an accumulation of advertising impressions. And as we go forward, our brands will be built through an accumulation of human impressions. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. My name is Jeff, and I am going to attempt to get through this without coughing. This is the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. And I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast is designed to not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but bring you the key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And that's exactly what I'm going to do today. Here in just a few minutes, we'll be joined by Mr. Mark Schaefer. Mark's brand new book is called Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins. I'm going to ask Mark to share about the idea that brands are people too, really, the importance in understanding and engaging in values-based marketing, some of the many ways that we as marketers misuse technology, and much, much more. If you are someone who is unsatisfied in your work life, that void can be all too obvious. Solving for that void is where things can become difficult, but it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, that's why I'm putting together the free online conference called the Boss Free Virtual Summit. It features over 30 speakers and happens April 30th through May 7th, 2019. And not only is it free, but you can attend from anywhere. You can watch on your laptop. You can watch at work. You can watch at home. You can watch on your mobile device. This online conference is for you if you've ever had the itch to venture out on your own. And in that it's free to attend, consider it a no-risk way to explore a boss-free future. All you have to do is sign up, and you can do that right now at BossFreeSummit.com. That's BossFreeSummit.com. Well, Mark Schaefer is a globally recognized speaker, educator, business consultant, and author whose blog is one of the top marketing blogs in the world. As executive director of Schaefer Marketing Solutions, he specializes in marketing training, and his clients include both startups and global brands like Dell, Johnson & Johnson, Adidas, and the U.S. Air Force. He is a faculty member of the Graduate Studies Program at Rutgers University, hosts the Marketing Companion Podcast, which is the uh, in the top 1% of business podcasts in iTunes, by the way. And he's written six other best-selling books. His new book, and the one we're talking about today, is called Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins. And I think the most impressive part of all that is I got through it without coughing. Uh, Mark, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Oh, thanks so much. Delighted to be here. Well, I finished the book just this morning and coming from a traditional media as I as I did, mm. I can certainly appreciate the colossally slow process of, of change implementation. Yeah. And that is something that we're no doubt going to spend some time talking about. Uh, but I wanted to start by asking you to sort of shed some light on this third marketing rebellion. It's not the first. For context, share a bit of history of these marketing rebellions, if you would. 
I never have a plan to write a book. As you mentioned, this is my this is my seventh book. But I, I write a book when I get curious about something. And one of the things I was seeing in the world is I go out and I consult and I speak all over the world. And whether I was meeting with CMOs from big companies or people just doing startups or nonprofits, they kept telling me that they just felt stuck. They felt overwhelmed, that they were falling behind. And my original theory was that technology was moving so far ahead of people that they were feeling, you know, overwhelmed. And when I started to dig into it, what I discovered is, well, I mean, that's part of it. Obviously, it's really hard to keep up with technology. But a more profound thing that I discovered was that our customers have moved away from us. And I think a lot of businesses sort of have had their head down doing what they do, doing what they do, maybe iterating and tweaking year to year. Meanwhile, our customers have taken a radical shift away from us and most people don't know. And as I started digging into this, what I discovered was that this has been happening for a long time. And it was really entirely predictable, Jeff, Mm. that we could see this coming. So in the book, I I give a little history lesson and talk about how this is really the third consumer rebellion. Consumers have been rebelling against advertising and marketing since the beginning when it first started. And the first rebellion was against lies because the early advertisements were so preposterous. (laughs) Uh, Not only were they lies, they were sort of dangerous. And so there was a rebellion and the government created the FTC and the FDA to help protect people from those lies. The second rebellion was ushered in by technology. And I remember those days in the late 80s, early 90s, when the internet was catching on. And I was in business working for a big company at the time. And this was terrifying (laughs) because the internet disrupted our model for business. And the model for most businesses was you made money on the secrets. You made money on what people didn't know. That's how you made money on Hmm. cars and insurance and vacations and just about everything else. And then with the Internet, the power of information moved to consumers. They know everything. There are no more secrets. So that was the second rebellion, the end of secrets. We're in the third rebellion today, which is the end of control. As this power has moved to the customers, they control the sales funnel. We think we do, but we don't. They control the customer journey. Mm. They control the conversations about our brand. Our brands used to be what we told people, and now a brand is what people tell each other. And that's what you mean when you talk about two-thirds of your marketing is not your marketing, right? Yeah, that's just what I was going to lead into. That is That's sort of a statistic that's been laying out there for a while based on research from McKinsey over, uh, over a decade. And we sort of, I think, intuitively know that, Jeff, that most of our conversations, most of our marketing is going on in conversations out mm-hmm. there somewhere. But what this study shows is that about two-thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. So the challenge to marketing today and the problem I solve with the book is how do we get to that two-thirds? How do we get to that conversation? And the challenge is we can't buy our way in. We have to be invited. And that requires a very different approach and a very different mindset. And it literally made me question what it means to be a marketer today. And, and, and at its core, Mark, isn't it really about attempting to scale relationships? Is, is that what you're ultimately talking about? I think at the heart of the book, it really asks our business leaders to sort of become a customer mm. and think about 
what do you love? What do you hate? What do you need? (laughs) So what I propose in the book is that we are too obsessed with technology and we're abusing people with technology. We're over-automating and we need to recapture what marketing is supposed to be about, which is really connecting to unmet and unserved human needs. So the idea is to move toward a more human-centered marketing effort. And a good place, I think, for anybody to start is to think about what are we doing that customers hate? Are we doing robocalls? Are we doing spam emails? Are we doing direct mail that is littering mailboxes? What are we doing? If we're doing things that customers hate, stop it. (laughs) Then get out there and figure out what customers love and what they need and go do that. And that's a big part of how marketing has become broken because we're too wedded to these dashboards and we're not out actually talking to customers. Well, I want you to expound on this idea of, of being more human and the quote from the book, I think, that brands are, are people, too. Do people really form relationships with brands the same way they do with other people? That was a really interesting thing I learned through some research that was done by some academics at Princeton University. They came upon this realization that people compare their relationship to brands just as they would compare their relationship to another person. Mm-hmm. And they found when someone is evaluating another person for a friendship, the two most important qualities they look at are warmth and competence. And they found that when people judge brands, they look for the same thing (laughs) and their conclusion that brands are people too. So one of the problems is historically, companies have created this warmth and competence through advertising. That's why we have a Geico Gecko. Geico is a company basically of statisticians. It's an insurance company. (laughs) But we don't think of it that way. We think of it as a warm and competent little gecko. And they've spent millions of dollars to create that image. They're the number one brand advertiser in the world. But most businesses like me and you, we don't have that kind of money. And people aren't seeing our ads anyway if we take out ads these days. (laughs) So another alternative is to build these more human connections. And I think a lesson from the book is that brands in the past were built through an accumulation of advertising impressions. And as we go forward, our brands will be built through an accumulation of human impressions. That's what people want. That's the only thing people really believe. I've seen a a regional insurance company attempting to emulate in its advertising uh, what Geico has done and and other other insurance companies. It's not working quite as quite as well, in in, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, Do you by chance know I'd be surprised if you didn't. But do you by chance know Mark Ramsey? I, I, I don't know him well, but I know who he is. Mark and and Tom Asacker host a podcast called Media Unplugged, mm-hmm. and there's this inside joke on the podcast about brands invoking this word artisanal. Mm. I want you to share a bit about uh, what it means to be an artisanal brand and why marketing must become that. Well, it's it's a difficult word because it has become kind of a joke. Uh, you know, one of my favorite television shows is Portlandia, hmm. which features artisanal light bulbs and artisanal <laughs> nuts that sort of uh, poke fun at this. But I couldn't really come up with a better word. Hmm. And so what I mean by that is I first started thinking about this idea and this important trend when I went to a, um, a session at South by Southwest last year. And I heard this presentation from some researchers that talked about that people really don't believe big brands because people only believe what they can see on a local level. That explains a lot. 
but it, it's it's more than local. I mean, you can be local and people still wouldn't like you or buy from you. <laughs> it's 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 like a local, meaningful, handcrafted connection. Mm. And I really didn't know a better word for that really than artisanal. So today, think about what big brands say. It's really kind of ridiculous. Brands might say, oh, look at us. We have all these new pollution controls. You know, we've cut our, our pollution in half and we've, we've got this anti-plastic thing going. And look, we're diverse and we're hiring women now. And what those messages say to me is, hey, look at us. We're normal. We were trying to stop being bad. Mm. That's not really a point of differentiation. People don't even believe that stuff because they think you're just trying to say that because you, you have to say it to raise your stock price or to be politically correct. People only believe what they see happening in their own communities and in their own lives. And this is going to be a very, very difficult perhaps impossible transition for a lot of these big companies. I noted last week Procter & Gamble, which is suffering mightily from this trend mm. because who's the person that you love at Procter & Gamble? I mean, who's the <laughs> face? Who's the local face at Ivory Soap or at Tide, right? Mm. So Procter & Gamble is buying up these local companies. They, they just can't switch. They cannot make this transition fast enough and probably never. So there is an advantage to having that local connection, that meaningful human connection, because that's what people believe in. One of my favorite quotes in the book comes from a friend of mine that was with Nike. He since moved to Adidas and he said, today marketing, you can't be in a city. You have to be of the city. Mm. And that sums it up exactly. It's not from the artisanal chapter, but one of my favorite stories from the book that relates to that is the young woman who was buying the local, fairly expensive soap that you noticed. Mm. And I love what she said. I'm not sure I would say I love the brand, but I love the hands that made it. That is the world. That sums up the marketing re re rebellion that we're in right now in one sentence is that people are creating these connections to humans, not because it's lemon-scented, not because it's 10% free. It's because I have an emotional connection to, to the person. Do you have an emotional connection to me? Well, the folks at Gusto certainly hope so. That's one of the reasons why they advertise on podcasts, and specifically this one, because they trust that you trust me. Enough to know that if I'm going to take the time to talk about a company's products or services, it's one that I feel good about. Well, I can respond to that with a resounding yes, but you don't have to just take my word for it. In fact, 90% of Gusto's customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. Three out of every four customers say it takes 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. And what's more, PC Magazine named Gusto Best Online Payroll of 2018, Best HR Software of 2018, and Best Benefits Administration Software of 2018. Gusto makes compliance easier and takes tedious tasks off your plate. And to that I say, amen. To demo Gusto free for three months when you run your first payroll, just visit gusto.com slash read to lead. That's Three months free when you run your first payroll. Again, visit gusto.com slash read to lead. We'll talk a bit about the importance, Mark, of understanding and engaging in values-based marketing. What does a values-based marketing strategy look like? Wow, that's, I think that's one of the most important chapters of the book. It's the one I think that's also receiving the most attention and the most uh, discussion. 
And it's because it's sort of ripped from the headlines. So last fall, a lot of traditional marketers were sort of shocked when Nike made this move where they were aligning with Colin Kaepernick and there were people burning tennis shoes in the streets. And this is a sort of a new kind of marketing when you've got people burning your products. And as that was happening, I was literally just finishing up the writing of that chapter. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I could just see exactly what they were doing and exactly why. And so the short story is, is that we're basically in a loyalty-free world. And there are some exceptions mm-hmm. and there are some different ways to create loyalty. But compared to other decades and other generations, the research shows across most industries about 87% of our customers shop around. That is a huge change over just the last 10 years, mm. and it's been enabled by mobile devices. Now, if you look at how do we rebuild that connection, how do we rebuild that loyalty, there's not that many options left. But one powerful one is aligning with your customers' values or having shared meaning mm. with your customers. It's a risky proposition. It's not for every company. And it doesn't have to be polarizing. It could be something uplifting and unifying. But it has to do with really knowing your customers so well that your brand almost becomes an extension of their brand. And what customers are telling us is if you want us to be loyal to you, you have to be loyal to us first and you have to show it. What do you believe in? What do you stand for? Show yourself. And if you're willing to tell us and stick with us and you know be right beside us with this, we'll never let you down. We'll always be there for you. And Nike ran the numbers and they took a risk and I think history will show it was a it was a good decision for them to make. You you hinted to this a moment ago when you talked a bit about technology. What are what are some ways many marketers misuse technology in ways that disrespect their customers? Well, unfortunately, marketers and and a lot of businesses today, we sort of get in this echo chamber. Mm. We're in this bubble where we read blog posts and we listen to the gurus and we attend webinars created by other marketers. And we sort of tell each other what the best practices are. And what I've observed is that these best practices sort of build up layer by layer by layer Um, It's almost like how the fossils were formed. You know, there's all these layers and the pressure creates it into rock that, you know, that that becomes permanent. And I think these these layers of, you know, best practices, real or imagined, have built up in a way that is disconnected from the real world. I can remember when I first got into this social media world, I would make these observations, like say there's someone who everybody trusts and everybody believes they're a big influencer in the marketing space, and they'll come out with some blog post, and it may not even be right, but then everybody shares it, and it becomes a mantra. (laughs) It, It just becomes part of the fabric of what we do, and it may not have even been right in the first place. Technology is squarely in that echo chamber. And we're using technology because we're afraid not to, because everybody else is. 
we don't understand most of the technology we already have. And it's intoxicating because we want the marketing easy button. We want the technology to do most of our work so we can just, you know, keep our head in a dashboard or something, or we can work on our Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> but the, the fact is, is that a lot of times we over automate and we push customers away. I'll tell you a, a beautiful little story that I just learned last week. Uh, this lady wrote me and she said, I have to tell you how your book changed my business in one day. Mm. She was using this marketing automation system and the CRA, CRM system. And she said, I was ready to quit my business. It wasn't working. I wasn't generating any business. And I really felt uncomfortable about what I was doing to people, that I was just automating all this stuff. And then I read your book and I couldn't get it out of my mind that I was not creating human connections. Mm. None. So I scrapped the CRM system and I started calling people. I started engaging people. I started just showing up and I went to groups on social media and I just gave away these books that I've developed for free. And these are things that I was trying to automate and I was trying to, you know, get their email before I'd give them these things. She said, I got two new customers in the first day. <laughs> By the end of the first week, she said, I had 40 new leads. By the end of the second week, I had 90 new leads. She said, I wow. am dancing around my house. <laughs> I feel so free. I feel so liberated. I feel so proud of what I was doing instead of embarrassed by what I was doing. And creating these human connections works. And I think the most interesting statement was one lady told her, she said, you know, I was always interested in getting this book, but I never wanted to give you my email address because I knew you would spam me. But now that you're connected to me in a real way, yes, I'll take it. And she became a customer. <laughs> and that is a, is is. Just a, a beautiful story, I think, yeah. of the message I'm trying to get through in the book. Yeah, and def defies what everybody tells us we, we should be doing. Mm -hmm. uh, well, later in the book, uh, Mark gives examples of companies who exemplify what he calls the marketing of no marketing. Uh, what does that mean exactly? Well, I think marketing today, the best marketing, is sort of invisible. I have this, uh, this metaphor in the book where I say that you know, we used to have a mass audience and today, through technology, customers have self-selected into like-minded islands. Hmm. It might be an island on, on, you know, sports or on fishing or on cooking or on vacations or whatever. But people have their little tribes on the web and they love it there and their friends are there and they exchange ideas and they talk about products and talk about things they love. And marketers are outside and they're thinking, if I could just get on that island... <laughs> I know I could sell these people some stuff. So we have to be invited to this island. So it's it's not going to come through a banner ad. It's not going to come through, you know, PR spin. It's not going to come through spam, lead nurturing and all this stuff. It's going to come through befriending these people and acting like a human. So what I wanted to do to, to sort of inspire people and show that it's possible is I created some some profiles, like profiles and marketing courage, some case studies in the book. And, and one of them is really sort of the marketing of, new, of no marketing. It's getting out there and literally having enough conversations with potential customers, relevant, interesting authentic conversations that mean something to, to these people that they'll carry the story forward and that becomes the marketing because if you be if you get on the island your marketing can stop because they'll carry the story forward for you now is that still marketing <laughs> are conversations marketing or is that no marketing i think it's a very interesting concept 
Well, Mark, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you not directly related to the book. Uh, Before I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we walk away with? Well, I think you've done a really great job, you know, preparing and I've loved your questions. Thanks so much for reading the book. Uh, That means a lot to me before we had the interview. My pleasure. Well, I, I want to ask you about books, uh, books that you've read, uh, books that you've particularly enjoyed, books that have had an impact on you over the years. If you think of one or two titles, what would you say are the ones that stick out as having had the biggest impact on you? Well, two that really have helped reconfigure my views on marketing. One is Small Data by Martin Lindstrom. Martin is one of my marketing heroes. I feature him as a case study in the book. And Martin is is a marketing anthropologist. And he just gets completely out of the technology Hmm. and gets down into people's lives, gets down into the nooks and crannies of where they live, where they work, where they socialize. And his, his passion is to reconnect companies with customers in their real lives and their real environments. And I just, I love what he does. He, he's just magical in the way he thinks. So uh, his book, Small Data, is one that I really love. Another one that I thought was extremely well done is another book I mentioned, and that is The Power of Moments by Chip mm-hmm. and Dan Heath. They are really great researchers and great academics, and they're writers after my own heart mm-hmm. because I hope what people will see in my book is that this is not Mark Schaefer's view of the world. This is a research-based, validated view of the world. And that's what Chip and Dan present as well. And they give some really good ideas in there about how people really view their customer experience, how it doesn't have to be perfect all the time, but certain elements have to be memorable. And especially if it's memorable enough that it helps you join that conversation. And I think that's it's, it's a very important concept for winning in this third rebellion. I know we postponed our original interview date to give you a chance to prepare for a couple of keynotes you did uh, recently. Mm-hmm. As a successful speaker, what are some of your tips, Mark, for delivering an impactful and, and memorable public talk? Well, thanks for the great question, Jeff. You know, I think there are two things that come from up to mind for me. First is I always concentrate on delivering insights, not just information. I want to deliver in my talk something that nobody has heard before, that they couldn't get from a Google search or a blog post. I'm adding my view, uh, my wisdom to what's going on in the world. So I think that's really important to be uh, to be effective. And then that takes a certain amount of courage to put yourself out there and, and add your own story. The second thing that had a really profound change in my uh, approach to speaking is I am a a teacher. I teach at a university and I thought, oh, well, well, speaking is kind of like teaching. I'm just going to get up there and and do a data dump. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, everybody was bored, including me. And then I, I heard a professional speaking coach on a podcast one time and he said, look, you're an entertainer. You have to get up there and to make it memorable, it's, it's, it's a show. You've got to entertain. Uh, you know, anybody could get up there and, and recite information, but if you want to hold their attention, you have to entertain. And so what I do is I almost block out my talk like a performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I rehearse it. Mm-hmm. I rehearse it like crazy. I rehearse it so much I'm sick of myself. <laughs> But I, but I know my lines, right? I'm not going to look at the slides and think, oh, where am I? I'm going to own it. I'm going to own this thing. The other thing is that when people listen to your talk, even if they love you, 
everybody tunes out every five to seven minutes. Mm. They start thinking about, oh, I got to go to the dentist tomorrow or what am I going to have for dinner tonight or, geez, did I let out the dog? And so what I do as part of this show is every five to seven minutes, I have an intervention. (laughs) I pop something into my speech that nobody expected. Uh, It could be something funny. It could be a visual pun. It could be a sound. It could be a video. But it's something different that just grabs you and say, oh, come back. <laughs> I'm, you know, you got to be here. Come back. And I think that's one of the hallmarks of my speeches is people say, you know, I paid attention the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, when did the book officially come out? January 14th. January 14th. 20 of just this year. Yeah. Well, now that it's out beyond promotion, Mark, what's ahead for you and your team that you're currently excited about? Well, it's sort of fascinating. When a writer or a speaker puts out a book, it's kind of like a band putting out a new record album. Uh, You've got to promote it. You've got to sort of tour with it. And you never know what new opportunities will emerge. Uh, You never know where it's going to take you. Look, uh, writing a book is, is the most intense thing you can do as a human being, I think, because you're putting yourself out there in such a raw and permanent way. You can't take it back. <laughs> and let's face it, this is a risky book. It's a it's a terrifying book to a lot of people. And I thought, man, there, there could be backlash from this. But just the opposite has happened. I mean, there might be some backlash down the road. But most people have said, wow, you know, hmm. I kind of knew this was happening, but you put a name to it. and And you're right. And we need to do this. And the the response to the book has just been amazing. Some people have said it's the the best marketing book they've read in years. One person yesterday says the best marketing book in a generation. Uh, You know, someone told me it was a masterpiece. And it's already changing people's. I mean, here's the most touching thing. I mean, literally, it, it, it brought tears to my eyes. This young man uh, made a video and he said, let me tell you how I'm changing my business and my life because of this book. (laughs) And he basically said, I'm guilty. I hate what I'm doing. Hmm. I'm annoying people. I'm doing all these things and I'm going to change. He was one of these, you know, like really hardcore salespeople. You know, uh, they've got all these big sales conferences and (laughs) classes they're trying to sell and all this stuff. He said, you know, we've got to stop. We've got to do something. And now he's like he, he's like going into a lot of these discussions and forums with these you know old style you know hard closing salespeople saying look there's a new day there's a new way you got to read this book it's like wow I mean I've changed this guy so much in such a short period of time and you know as a teacher there's nothing better to to see so mm-hmm. I think. To answer your question, I'm just waiting to see where this is going to take us. New doors are opening already um, because it's just having a powerful impact on people. Well, the book, again, is called Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins. And his name is Mark Schaefer. Mark, it's been a delight having you on the show. Thank you so much uh, for being here and putting up with my uh, scratchy throat. (laughs) Thank you. You, You've been great. You sound great. You've got the voice everybody wants. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) thank you, Jeff. It's been great. If you'd like to dig in deeper to my conversation with Mark, connect with him on social media or check out those books he recommended. You can find all that and more at the blog post just for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 257 for episode 257. 
I hope you'll join me for my free online conference happening April 30th through May 7th, 2019. It's called the Boss Free Virtual Summit and perfect for you if you've ever had an inkling to venture out on your own. Consider it a no-risk way to explore that possibility. You can sign up right now for free at BossFreeSummit.com. That's BossFreeSummit.com. Gusto is counting on you to demo their software free for three months when you run your first payroll. You'll be glad you did. Gusto.com slash read to lead. For questions or comments on the Read to Lead podcast, feel free to reach out to me directly, Jeff at Read to Lead Podcast.com. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember leaders read and readers lead. 